welcome to the Contours podcast by the New Lines Institute for Strategy and Policy. My name is Carolyn Mormon, an analyst and content coordinator, and this is the second episode in a two-part series on the ongoing crisis in Sudan. First, you heard from David Rako, Senior Director for Political Systems Analysis on the conflict itself, based on his past time on the ground. This episode features Riley Motor to discuss regional and global ramifications of the crisis. At New Lines, Riley focuses on state fragility in North Africa. Prior to joining the Institute, Riley was a program assistant at USIP in the Middle East and North Africa Department. She previously conducted research on non-state actors in the Sahel at the American Enterprise Institute's Critical Thrust Project and human rights law and refugee policy while living in France. Riley, thanks so much for joining the podcast. To get us started, why don't you give us an update about where we are in the conflict right now and what's happening? Sure. So the war in Sudan broke out in mid-April between the Sudanese armed forces known as the SAF and the rapid support forces known as the RSF. A little over a month later, there's an estimated 800 people that have been killed and hundreds of thousands displaced. Interestingly enough, these two factions actually once worked together to oust the civilian prime minister in 2012. However, since then, there's been no clear consensus on the division of power, which has led to the fighting that we're seeing today. Currently, we've got a few updates this week. The Biden administration just pledged $245 million in humanitarian assistance to Sudan and neighboring countries. This is a great first step in decreasing the regional impacts. In addition, the administration supported peace talks in Jeddah, which is in Saudi Arabia, over the last weekend that have led to a first internationally monitored ceasefire. However, as of the 25th, there's actually been several reports of shelling and rival forces fighting outside Khartoum and bringing into the question the validity of the ceasefire and the effectiveness of the Biden administration's ability to monitor. So as we've seen, when it immediately started happening, Sudan was all over the news, very much in people's minds. But a month into the conflict, we see that that coverage has declined and it hasn't resonated globally as much as other conflicts. And it seems that only a relatively small group of specialists followed it. Why do you think that is? Yeah, that's a great question. The international community, I've always personally felt, views this as a regional conflict, as an African problem, or in some cases, a European problem to deal with. They're often very distracted by other conflicts, the continual fallout of Afghanistan and the Russian war in Ukraine. So as such, those interested in this region. You know, analysts in this region are following this conflict. However, with the exponential population growth, vast natural resources, and increasing regional trade, Europe and the United States should be acutely aware of the implications in Sudan and how this crisis could ripple throughout the region and impact European partners and eventually the United States. So looking at the conflict and what we can expect to come from it, how do you think that this conflict will spread beyond Sudan's borders? particularly any countries immediately bordering it? Great question. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of how and when. As of Tuesday, the 23rd of May, the conflict has produced about 250,000 refugees. To give the U.S. audience an example here, that's about half the population size of Wyoming. The conflict is already having regional implications that could spark further unrest and conflict. Just to give a brief update on numbers, Approximately 113,000 people have fled to Egypt, 65,000 to South Sudan, 60,000 to Chad. Interestingly enough, Chad had originally closed its borders, and then due to the pressure pressure coming from the Sudanese refugees, it has opened its borders and is accepting a small amount of refugees. 
And a combination of 14,000 people have fled to the Central African Republic and Ethiopia, respectively. This influx in refugees will have both political, economic and social impacts on their respective countries. And a lot of these countries are already in incredibly fragile conditions due to past conflicts, rising inflation and food insecurity due to the Russian and Ukraine war, as most of North Africa relies on Russia and Ukraine for their imports of wheat. Moving on to Sudan's neighbor to the north, Egypt. You recently wrote a great analysis for the national interest that looked at these implications on Egypt. Can you walk me through your main points in this piece? Sure. Kind of leading from the last question, the thesis of this analysis is that the fighting in Sudan has put the nation at risk of collapse, with Egypt slowly following suit afterwards. Egypt is in an incredibly fragile economic situation. They're dealing with increased rising inflation, food shortages, a story not unfamiliar to North African countries. The potential for increased destabilization and regional conflicts is something that I think we should be taking very seriously. And the international community needs to assist Egypt in processing these and providing for these refugees. Egypt recently sent its special counterterrorism police to the border. This is a, a police force that was known for being particularly brutal during the Arab Spring. Reports of refugees being denied entry, turned around at the border, attacked, have been increasing throughout the week. As of May 1st, Egypt has made it increasingly more difficult for refugees to enter the country by making it illegal to cross on foot. Refugees are required to board a bus or get in a car, and a lot of times this is leading to increased exploitation. It can cost up to $40,000 per family to get on a bus to cross into Egypt from Sudan. Egypt, though not correct in its approach, is very concerned with the economic impact of the influx of refugees. There's been several quotes from the Egyptian president citing this in recent journals. So this brings me kind of back to my main point of the analysis, which is that the international community in the United States needs to do more to support these host countries of refugees. Basic needs need to be met. Protections need to be in place. But we also need to protect the host countries and the economies themselves so that political collapse is not as much of a, a worry when regional conflicts break out and refugees start fleeing to other countries. Even beyond Sudan's North African neighbors, a big concern for the world is how this conflict will affect Europe. So I'm wondering, in your opinion, do you see it affecting Europe? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. So Europe's main concern for years has been migration. UNHCR estimates that about 800,000 refugees are going to cross over into various countries by the end of this year. So as we've already discussed, these neighboring countries don't have the capacity to take in these refugees. A lot of North African countries and countries that are bordering Sudan have an influx of refugees already that are not a part of this conflict that they are managing and caring for. So this additional stress is going to increase migration flows to European countries, often thread by boat across the Mediterranean. I think something that we should be watching is that Europe is tightening its migration policies. They're very concerned about the economic and the political impact that these refugees are going to have. And in a lot of ways, this brings up you know, further security concerns, both for the safety of the migrants and the refugees, but also for the safety of the European citizens that get involved in this. The EU currently is working on processes to decentivize migration and protect their economic interests. They're also working on legislation that will put in proper security measures as well. One of those a piece of legislation that focuses on burden sharing from countries that receive these migrants and refugees on the Mediterranean to further northern European states. So moving on to what can be done to help alleviate the problems that are coming from this crisis. You mentioned earlier as a main point of your analysis for the national interest, 
that the U.S. and the international community needs to be doing more to support countries that these refugees are fleeing to. We recently saw the Biden administration announce a multi-million dollar humanitarian aid package to Sudan and the neighboring countries. Is there another way that the United States has been involved in this conflict? And along that front, what more can the U.S. and the Biden administration be doing to help here? Sure. So the Biden administration's been a part of this in a few different ways. One of their key parts is these ceasefire negotiations that happened in Jeddah. The Sudanese Rapid Armed Forces have signed an agreement to a week-long ceasefire that will be ending on Friday, May 26th. And the goal of this was to kind of give people a break, try to come to some consensus, reach a negotiation point. However, there have been continual reports of fighting continuing outside of Khartoum between these two forces. Unfortunately, the U.S. has been monitoring this ceasefire remotely. So though, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that it was an impressive move that this is going to be the first internationally monitored ceasefire, the monitoring is not sufficient. We've also threatened sanctions at this point, sanctions against any group or individual that will be harming this transition back toward democracy. However, as sanctions go historically, they're sometimes less effective. The United States, though, is trying to help stabilize the region and prevent further ripples and further catastrophe by providing this $245 million aid package. However, we have yet to see what that aid is going to look like and what countries it's going to. And I think that is the key next step is understanding the dynamic of this aid. Who's it going to? Where is it going to? How is it going to impact the people on the ground, as well as the governments on the ground, the NGOs on the ground and, and so forth? So following your point about the ceasefire, we've seen it be a priority for the Biden administration to increase the ties that the United States has with Africa, as this has been a repeated sore spot in American foreign policy for multiple administrations, as many analysts have noted. We've seen the Biden administration take strong steps, such as the U.S.-Africa summit in December 2022. Do you think that the U.S.'s involvement in the most recent ceasefire that you've been mentioning serves as a window for the U.S. to broaden its diplomatic impact on the continent or not? Yes and no. So currently what the United States is doing by, you know, negotiating the ceasefire, providing aid, they're, they're all great first steps. However, but with little room for enforcement and implementation, the United States can't really progress any kind of positive agenda here. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. It's a lot of talk. I think the United States should come out with a clear vision of how they want to see this $245 million used to avoid aid corruption and aid diversion. And then going forth from there, I think the United States should put more pressure on both sides, both the RSF and SAF, to really come to a ceasefire. I mean, we're talking about ceasefire after ceasefire after ceasefire. I think this is like the fourth or fifth one that's been called that has not been successful. So I think the United States should take a more active role in regulating this conflict and trying to get towards some semblance of peace. Well, Riley, thank you so much for putting all of this into perspective. You really placed this crisis into a larger view of what the United States and the international community can expect ramifications of this crisis to be for not only Africa, but also Europe. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. To our listeners, thank you for listening to my conversation with Riley Motor about regional ramifications of the Sudan crisis. Make sure to subscribe to Contours on major streaming platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify, so you don't miss any of our new podcasts. 
You can also check out further analysis into geopolitics and U.S. foreign policy at www.newlinesinstitute.org. All the best.